you know, I thought that Blair Witch actually worked like surprisingly well for what it was. I uh, I was completely on board with the hype. Like from mm-hmm. the moment that I saw the flyer about the three missing filmmakers posted outside Melnitz. And I'm oh. like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, it was only when I got to the end where I'm like, oh, it's an ad. And I'm like, wow, it's a, it's a lot of hype around like the potential of the movie. And even all the people who'd seen it, like describing mm-hmm. the movie and it's, and you know, they get really into it. And it's, you know, you're, it's like, you're listening to a campfire story. Like a lot of, of, you know, creepy secondhand information came out of that. But then I saw the movie right. and it's just a bunch of annoying filmmakers. And I'm, maybe, um, I'm glad to see them die because they suck. Well, maybe it benefited because like I, um, because I remember the hype because, you know, 1999. Yeah. And it was very exciting because, like, oh, man, like, they made this movie for, like, $5 and it made a jillion <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think the budget eventually worked out to be, like, 60 k uh-huh. I want to say. I think I that's know, what I read. Was that the advertising budget? <laughs> well, I mean, you don't yeah. you don't get marketing like that for 60 k I don't think. Right. Um. No, yeah, like early viral marketing, and everyone was very excited about it. And the thing was, is I I missed it. I think probably because I was too busy seeing um, Fight Club and The Matrix multiple times. Yeah, that or you know Office Space. A lot of good movies came out that year. Yeah, nineteen ninety nine, baby. But yeah. um, and the Phantom so, Menace came out. Ugh, <laughs> they can't all be winners. I actually was... a lot of notable movies came out that year. That was the well, a lot of watershed movies. But oh yeah, we were um, we were speaking of the Blair Witch um, because there ain't even a Blair Witch at the end. Which, well, yeah, I did. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, I didn't. There is there. I hope there isn't a Love Witch at the end. Oh well, in that case, nothing would even happen. And you know, we still have some unresolved business with the Love Witch that I feel like we need to get to. But that's probably an episode for another time. Her character I... has no arc. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, and like as a kind of like a a hollow, vindictive shell of a person, she's not that interesting. Because I've seen movies about hollow, vindictive shells of people, and they've mm-hmm. been fascinating. Right. No, yeah. you know, I was. That's funny because I was thinking about the love which today, yeah, and I realized that. Uh, you, no, you know what? It was? Okay, wait a minute. Um. Okay, do me a favor. Uh, as soon right. as I finish my point from earlier. Why don't you say to me, oh, Jen, what were you going to say about the Love Witch okay. you were thinking about today? Because right. I didn't finish what I was saying about the Blair Bitch. The Blair Witch, okay. So uh, 1999, obviously, big year for movies, like movies with lasting cultural impact. Mm-hmm. And I totally missed the Blair Witch train. I think because I wasn't watching much horror at the time and... I don't know. I just okay. never got around to seeing it as much as it was like a sensation and like an early viral sensation. Yeah, I don't remember horror having much of a cultural footprint at the time, but I well, be maybe wrong. that was when it started. I mean, be, yeah. because I mean, in the eighties, you had slashers. Yeah, you have all the like classic eighties slasher movies that people are trying to bury now because they don't remember <laughs> that they existed like within a certain cultural context. Yeah, it was like early 80s was, you know, coming off of Halloween in 78, like the cultural moment was slashers. And then um, there was kind of like a little brief um, 
kind of peak for vampire films in mm-hmm. the late 80s, which probably has something to do with AIDS. I don't know. Um, but I'm too dumb to talk about that right now. And I only just watched Near Dark, so there it is. But right. um, horror was... But, no, I think what it was is that horror was so shit on as a genre because it was just, like, gore for stupid teenagers. Oh, yeah, before it got elevated, right? Ugh, well, don't <laughs> get me started on that. Yeah, I know. But... Um, it was shit that you saw in the video store with the scary covers. It was just like, oh, you yeah, know, that's just crap. Video, that's direct, just, yeah. it's a video nasties. It's shit that teenagers like, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And even though horror was um, kind of grappling with uh, social critique and other issues or like, or, you know, very like, um, yeah, I mean, resonant good. themes. People didn't give a fuck because it was just, you know, everybody kind of had that Siskel and Ebert opinion mm-hmm. of like, you know, slashers kind of went in the cultural bin with like hair metal. It was just like, ugh, like this is, this will rot your brain. Like this is worthless. Right. Yeah. I so mean, forgetting that maybe horror exists to like show the ugly things about ourselves that you can't put into another genre. Right. And maybe it was because of that that. It took until 1999 for people to be like, oh, well, like, horror is... Even though, like, I don't think Blair Witch is, like, that deep of a movie. It is not. Um, I did like it, and I was surprised, because quite a few people, not just yourself, are like, oh, you know, fucking Blair Witch, like, who gives a shit? It's just some mm-hmm. assholes getting killed in the woods. Right. Um, I... Actually, and I think this has a lot to do with its massive influence on the genre because it's like the stagecoach of horror movies because every fucking horrible, stupid cliche, Mm -hmm. um, and not all of them, but a hell of a lot of them progressed from this movie. Yeah, it set the standard. And to give an example, like I had Shudder on today because I was just kind of cruising around looking for for something to watch. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of looking, because we are going to be talking about found footage films, I was looking around for more in that vein because it's become so popular as a jumping off point mm-hmm. for horror. And I oh, landed yeah, like on... the VHS s- series. Right, right, right. And I landed on something similar, uh, which I don't... What the fuck was it called? Okay, I'm going to pause briefly to figure out what this was because i want to say what i was actually watching all right oh come on you fucking piece of shit no i don't want to continue watching the love witch <laughs> why would you even ask Ugh. Blah. Blah. fuck it was something that was shot in they obviously like shot something on 16 fuck yeah. It's fucking up my story because I don't remember what the fuck this movie was. Mm. That's my list. Shit the fuck. Mm. What the fuck was I watching? This is mm. so annoying. I mean, it's not in your history. Or... Oh, you know what? Forget it. Let me uh, let me take it another way. So, you know, I was on Shutter, you know, just kind of cruising around for something to watch. And I came across a found footage horror movie and i think it is instructive that it is it was so generic that i don't remember what the fuck it was called (laughs) that's a good sign but it was from 2021 or 2022 maybe i think 
And it started off with the tile card saying, oh, this is about the uh, three, these three people disappeared while looking for the something something mine. Okay. And the one of the very first shots is of a girl like crying into the camera and saying how sorry she is to everyone. And I was like, yeah. oh, I wonder where this came from. <laughs> I believe so, you've seen that done, yes. Yeah, and so it made me realize that, you know, um, I don't think that Blair Witch was the most path-breaking movie of all time, but it certainly um, sort of established these as as tropes. What mm-hmm. a disgusting word. Yeah. For the audience, like, oh, you know, found footage horror movies, this is what you get. You get, like, you know, you you get these kinds of shots, you get these kinds of situations, you get these kinds of characters. And it's like, and you're like, God damn, like, everybody watched this movie, and everybody came away and made, like, kind of a poorer copy of it. And having seen a number of poorer copies of the Blair Witch Project... Mm-hmm. And then watching Blair Witch, I was like, oh, like, this is actually, like, not bad for what it is. Like, I understand why it was so influential. And there was actually, and when you see those kinds of poor copies, and because because people are so bad at writing, Mm -hmm. that to see a script which is reasonably, reasonably paced and set up, and in which the characters are believable human beings is like, oh my god, this is this is amazing. And it's like Blair Witch is not that amazing. It's a little bit dry. Yeah. Um, not does, a lot happens in it. Yeah, because it is like the three actresses sort of improving a a story. Yeah, and I did like I did have a couple of quibbles about how um, the character stories kind of play out but i did like that there were it's like okay like these are three distinct personalities like the mm-hmm. like you know uh the director heather is like kind of you know she's like all she's all business she's like kind of bossy and you feel like that's gonna create some friction later um you have josh who is like oh like you know this guy's like eh, he seems agreeable but then like man does he go off the fucking rails and then you have Mike, who is like, oh, we don't know this guy. Like, we actually aren't friends with him. And this is the first time working with him. And it's like, he's kind of a loose cannon. But then there's like a little bit of a swerve where it's like, Josh is the one who just like completely loses his mind and then just gets like killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mike and Heather are kind of like forced together just because of their circumstances. And again, this is not like, you know, this is not sir robert bolt (laughs) kind of writing it's not that elevated of material but it works reasonably well especially in light of all the fucking garbage (laughs) that people went out and made after they fucking saw the blair witch project i think you're listening to jen um recalibrating her expectations in real time well, but like, think of all the all the times that you and I have we've been hanging out. We tuned into B movie TV, and there's some like shot on digital video, post 2010 fucking garbage, which is about a bunch of assholes in a remote place. And you're like, oh my god, another one of these fucking movies. Like, I cannot take it. Yeah, yeah, I love how much I hate them. That was my suggestion for um, 
Yeah, because for October, B-movie TV shows horror movies, you know, all day, and then they show, you know, a, a sleazy softcore movie at midnight. Um, and last year, Ace is like, hey, help me come up with you know, themed days. And, you know, people responded and they gave them a lot of ideas. Like, you know, let's have a vampire day. Let's have a werewolf day. Let's have like an alien day, like a possession day. And I said, let's have a day of um, movies about assholes in the woods. <laughs> and, you know, I <laughs> Ace softened that where he just softened it to, you know, in the woods. But, you know, mm-hmm. they're ones like, um, and these are the movies that I hate the most on b-movie tv um they are uh they're carver um uh let's see monsters in the woods which has the um the the guy from showgirls everybody is got that AIDS literally and shit. is that literally the fucking title yes oh yeah <laughs> um oh geez what's the other one um the oh, that's shoot. just depressing yeah Another one called Pelt. Those characters are awful. Just like obnoxious as all shit. Uh, the other one, the the Ridge. Oh, man, I hate those fucking people. Um, yeah, the Ridge on the underside of my dick. Right, yeah. Um, that one is great because, like, there's one character in it that, like, it just seems like the actor has this. Because he can't be a good actor if he's in this movie. Um, but he just has, like, this kind of passive-aggressive bro cadence to just the way he is and i'm like this guy's fucking insufferable um (laughs) so it is those like four movies there's another one that i can't remember the name of and that one's actually not as bad because they're they're people trying to survive a situation rather than just like being in the woods just being cunty to each other which kind of is unfortunately filled in where character development would be in a lot of these movies Mm. which Mm -hmm. is kind of yeah because the people writing these movies don't know how to visualize a human being they don't know yeah. how to create a human being out of whole cloth and imagine that person with an inner life and motivations and maybe their own agenda which might lead to something narratively interesting right yeah conflict is arguing right so, yeah it's so the it's the jj abrams method of writing characters right yeah so i hate all those movies and yeah, and he showed him on a whole day, and I was pleased as punch. Where I'm just like, oh, this movie sucks. Oh, I hate this movie. Just being able to watch them back to back to back, it was it was delightful. <laughs> just soaking in like a warm bath of your own bile. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, fortunately, uh, so we're not talking about those movies. Um, Be- but I could. Oh man. Uh yeah. Well, that's going to be the special edition. Yeah. It's just, I- it's 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 going to be like one of those. Um, like YouTube videos, which is like 11 hours of somebody ranting about, you know, women and comics or something. Right. Yeah. It's so uh, this is when horror movies went woke. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So those movies are all terrible and they're all derivative um, and they aren't necessarily even found footage movies. They're just assholes in the woods. Right. Because what we're going to be talking about specifically is found footage films, um, a couple of influential ones one certainly more than the other and then one that which came out very recently that tim and i both liked that we haven't heard anyone else talking about yeah can't um, wait to talk about that one yeah um so i may have spent uh vented my spleen a little about blair witch but uh i don't know like yeah, through I the do... map in the river it's like whatever you guys are making this up as you go along i don't care well, about any of you 
I mean, I and I can certainly I can certainly understand that. And, but having again having seen so many movies with just like real shitty characters being shitty to each other, mm-hmm. I felt that this was believable, and especially because the movie was paced very well. Okay. Like it actually starts out like pretty boring, which yeah, is actually I, fine because yeah, I can forgive that because a lot of these movies have to do that. They they have to like draw you in and set a baseline to be like, okay, this is just a normal movie, and nothing terrible is gonna happen. Yeah, and in a way that lends uh, more authenticity to mm-hmm. the film. I think that's true, Blair Witch. It's certainly true of the McPherson tape, mm-hmm. which starts yeah. out incredibly boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that is, that's, I mean, that's a normal narrative structure. You know, you have your first act and things are going okay until something changes. It just adds an extra layer of, you know, verisimilitude. Uh, to just be like, okay, these are we're watching normal people with their day to day lives. The problem is that you can do that and convey things about character um, in a mundane way rather than just being like straight mundane. I mean, it may be asking a lot for me to say, why can't you do both things in a found footage horror movie? I guess it's more of a nice to have than a requirement. And I think that it might have a lot to do with kind of the way these films are put together, you know, very minimal budget um, <clears throat> and in an improvisational style. Yeah. And and I'm not even saying this in a mean way, like not every director is Mike Lee. Right. Yeah. So. Um, or even Bruce you... Lee, for that matter. <laughs> Uh, which Bruce Lee are you talking about? Are you talking about the original Bruce Lee? Are you talking about Bruce L.I. Lee? Are you talking about... I'm, I'm talking about Dragon, uh, quote-unquote, uh, Bruce L.I.E.G.H. I remember one time when you texted me, and you were like, oh, Bruce Ree, that's yeah. a new one. Because yeah. the, literally, so, uh, there was a guy in the credits credited Bruce R-H-E-E. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, ooh, that's bad. It's like, can they even do that? I, hey, if it if it fools the uh, the movie-going rubes, then yes. I mean, is it ethical to say that your three, you know, that your three filmmakers died in the production of Blair Witch, even though their careers only did? <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's pretty interesting because, like, it's not like you've heard a lot from those three people so it's almost uh, authentic in that yeah respect. it's kind of meta yeah <laughs> it's they're going method yeah um did you want else? did you want to talk about the mcpherson tape or do you want to finish what you had to say about the love witch well really quickly as an aside uh-huh. last night i watched a uh because i kind of missed the j horror wave mm-hmm. i hadn't even seen ringu mm-hmm. until like a few days ago shocking i know but yeah i totally missed that whole cultural fun the other that other um horror genre explosion which was japanese horror films mm-hmm. um i watched a movie called cure directed by kiyoshi kurosawa and i started watching it uh, in much not the same way i watch a lot smith. of sorry not about robert smith of the cure uh yeah it was like just him and his cats it was really boring yeah um go on but uh i like the part where he applied his lipstick though um anyway yeah, so i watched houseless his hair <laughs> so puts on some uh, weight i started off watching 
this movie in much the same way I watch a lot of other movies, like I'm usually um just with open contempt, just like, oh this how dare you? No, that's you. No, um <laughs> No, that's for everything cause... else besides movies. In general. <laughs> so I started off watching this in much the same yeah, way that I podcast. <laughs> I started off watching this movie in much the same way that I start watching most movies, which is uh, iPad in hand, like sort of sketching. Right. And by the end, I was completely frozen in my chair, mm-hmm. afraid to move a muscle, like mm-hmm. practically holding my breath. Yeah, so this is a good movie then. It is. It's really amazing. Great. And, you know, slept on by me. Um, obviously, because it came out in like 1997, but I'm really glad I saw it. And now I want to see all of Kiyoshi Kurosawa's other stuff. But the point that I'm getting at is that after I watched it, like after I took like 10 or 15 minutes to kind of like get my breath back, I'm not Mm -hmm. kidding. I was so unsettled. Turn on all the lights, you know, check that the doors are locked. Well, yeah, I had to, I had to like make sure it was safe to move. Um, (laughs) I, after I calmed down, I was thinking, like, you know, Kurosawa obviously has just such a precise command of this medium. Um, The way that the movie is paced, the mise-en-scene, like, every choice is Mm -hmm. made for a reason and is deployed in exactly the right place. It is an incredible piece of filmmaking. And... Today, I was thinking about uh, the movie we did our last episode about, The Love Witch, and I was like, shit, you know, that's the thing about The Love Witch, is that it's like 75% there, in a way, because it is a breathtaking looking film. I really could not have more praise for the way The Love Witch looked, Mm -hmm. but at its core, it is narratively and thematically vapid. And yep. yes, I know that Anna Biller has talked about how like, oh, well, you know, I want to do something that was, you know, I wanted a strong heroine and, you know, feminist themes and color symbolism, blah, blah. And it's like, OK, that's great. But it's like an inch deep. Yeah. It's in like, service of what? It's like the metaphor about like biting into a chocolate egg and it just crumbles. <laughs> or it it's, could be, you know, uh, in other terms, something else that's that's been you know, in the zeitgeist lately. It's like one of those. Uh, like TikTok light TikTok li- lifestyle you know videos. It's like oh, oh you yeah know, yeah. It's like it's I... this stay at home girlfriend. Except right, this was yeah. the um, stay at home witch. Stay at home witch. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's very yeah. it's like all aesthetics. It's like a Pinterest movie. Right. Yeah. But there's nothing to it. You're like, well, could you maybe, if it's not too much trouble, give your character an arc? Yeah, and change or learn or something. And maybe it's unfair to, and maybe it's unfair to compare Anna Biller to Kiyoshi Kurosawa, like whatever. But like, again, Kurosawa has just such a complete command of what he's doing on screen, and Anna Biller has like command of seventy five percent of it. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's like there's something missing. It's like it's like if you were if you were missing like a like a particular part of your brain that robbed you of speech that made you aphasic, but Mm -hmm. you created beautiful pictures. It it's yeah. Like that is what the Love Witch feels like. It's a set designer and costumer directing a movie. Right. And you know a a set designer and 
costume designer who is like has feminist ideas but those feminist ideas are not very interesting they're like feminist ideas that you I don't know, not I even, fucking move past yeah in my not 40s. even ideas just like kind of feminist notions just like uh I read the Cliff's notes of, right you know I, I I got I got the general idea of what it's about yeah, it's like, oh, did you know that like men hate it when you're stripping, but you're also talking about gender theory? It's like, oh, damn, that's a deep fucking observation right there. Yeah, wow, men get bored when you're being boring. <laughs> Finally, the truth can be told. Yeah, so that's that's my read on the Love Witch. Maybe we can finally uh, put that one to bed. But no, I we're going like to talk a- about it more later. Oh God, it's we're haunted. Right. Um, Maybe that's the true curse of the love witch. Wow. And you thought it was just menstruation. <laughs> Every four weeks, you're going to have to talk about the love witch. <laughs> For six days oh, straight. I'm so mad about this movie. I don't know why. <laughs> it's my own um, curse. But I have talked a lot. I know. So, uh, I would like tim to take it for a while because i don't tim did you feel that i i articulated well enough what we're talking about tonight no we haven't even done the intro of the show well we talked about the blair witch and we talked about j-horror we talked about the love witch for fuck's sake that damned that damaged movie uh you want to talk about the mcpherson tape you want to talk about the back rooms you want to talk about horror in the high desert Yes, I would, but um, I don't okay. know if you ha- do. You have your little cult. Uh, do you have your? Do you have your little um, teaser? Have you seen this? Maybe you saw it in the news because this totally happened for real. Welcome to Have You Seen This? The world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. You know, um... Yeah? La- a la- one last thing about Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, it is 100% better than another extremely culturally influential movie that oh, came don't out even a few say years the later. Name. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you know. If you know, you know. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Fuck it that is movie, that home video. Technically another found footage movie, but we are not going to talk about it except to express our utter contempt for it. I, of course, am talking about paranormal activity. Ah! Now, he I know made a movie to s- write off a home renovation. That's smart cuz what do you what do you make like 100 billion dollars? I guess um, so. You know, you said that uh, you know, Blair Witch was about like assholes arguing in the woods. That mm-hmm. um I At least would, they left the house. Okay, you got me there. I would argue that um the characters in in Blair Witch, at least you I I feel as a viewer that I can understand like what kind of people they are, where they're coming from. Um, I like, um, I kind of like that really negative <laughs> depiction of certain people because it's like, mm-hmm. um, like the, the shit that Mike does in the movie, you know, kicking the map into the creek and all that shit. Mm-hmm. Um, his 
essential childishness. But then the kind of the shocking way that Josh turns against Heather, like in a really vicious way, such that Mike actually tries to defend her. Um, I like Heather as kind of, as like, you know, generally capable, but also kind of an abrasive character who's a little bit um, bossy and high handed, who like mm-hmm. later falls apart. The two jokers in fucking paranormal activity, like you are just praying for their deaths as soon as they start speaking. You're like these, why do, why do I give a single fuck about these two bougie morons, like carping at each other in their shitty McMansion? Like just fucking die already. Yeah. Die. It's this Chad and his wife who hates him. And it has and admittedly like Blair, Witch stretches out a, fairly thin premise Premise, to feature length Uh it made a lot of hay out of it but it's not it's not the most entrancing like horror narrative ever made Mm -hmm. paranormal activity is just like a load of fucking shit yeah it's awful it is so fucking stupid do not give a single fuck about the characters i don't care if this bitch has been haunted for her whole life like you just do not give a shit it is not scary like i said on twitter if you were scared by that movie you have the brain of a toddler i'm sorry yeah it is jump scares which are the lowest form of horror and it is tension waiting for something to happen and then something doesn't happen you're like god damn it movie and i'm not even i am not opposed to jump scares because i've seen some really good ones yeah well if that's all your movie has to offer exactly that's it's um because um, and I'm thinking of a particular moment in Cure when I literally gasped out loud. And you could say, oh, it's a jump scare, but it's such an emotionally loaded moment that it's it's like a full body shock. It's not just like, it's oh, not God, a door that's slamming. gross. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, oh, loud oh, noise. oh, fuck. Like, that's <laughs> awful. And it's yeah. because the movie has been slowly building up to that. And paranormal activity gives you fuck all right yeah i mean like the the time-lapse footage i think is probably the one innovation but whoopty shit yeah whoopty shit there you go so uh anyway that can be easily parodied um so that movie sucks (laughs) someone should do that yeah someone should do that god that's from Um, like 2008 (laughs) jesus yeah so um well because I keep blathering, and I guess this is like a pretty rich vein to talk about. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, Tim, you watch a fuck of a lot of horror, probably more than I do, even though I also enjoy the genre. Um, mm-hmm. What for you are kind of like the definitive like found footage movies? Found for I mean, jeez, uh, I would have to go looking because I mean, I I mean I know the most recent one that I'm just aching to talk about. Um, but like I, you know, say what you will. I like, you know, I like anthology horror movies, which means I like the VHS series. I mean, you know, some of them, some mm-hmm. segments I like more than others, but I like that it's a, you know, showcase of up and coming, um, you know, horror directors who I don't know the names of because I'm not as tuned in as I would like to be. Um, but you know, there's that there was, um, a while ago, I think it was the ABCs of death, which was seriously like 26, like three minute films um oh, that's about fun. each letter of the alphabet yeah and it was funny because um uh uh a mutual friend of ours uh you know who i'm whom i lived with for a time 
like the the episode for like X or Y or the second for X or Y, I'm like, this is like he made this. This is like Sean made this. So, um, it was it was goofy. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's like the newer stuff that I liked. I mean, I I do like anthology horror, you know, far and away um, from most other genres. Um, as for found footage, jeez, uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank trying to think of because. Um, well, maybe that's um, maybe that's all you need to say. If um, most found footage is so pervasive and yet so unmemorable, and in fact, <laughs> like you know, when I was on Shutter uh, today, like I took a look at another couple of of uh, movies from the found, which start from the found footage premise, mm-hmm. which looked sort of interesting. I felt better about one than the other. Um, one was called Deadstream, mm-hmm. um, and it is basically a it is a, a kind of disgraced YouTuber who's just gotten his stream remonetized. Who says, "Hey, I'm going to spend the night in a haunted house," and he's got mm-hmm. all the equipment on him. Uh, he, you know, padlocks the front door, throws away the key, and um, it starts off very strong. And I'm looking forward to finishing it because it is actually genuinely funny it mm-hmm. remains to be seen if there are scares in it but i haven't gotten that far there was another one i looked at which is another shutter original called um warning do not play which is pretty funny because it's like oh shit oh shit shit right yeah um, <laughs> Damn it. but it's i hit... told me right at the top uh. yeah exactly but Stupid. i hit play anyway and um i would like to finish that one as well but it's um well you'll die from... in seven days after you finish watching it i mean talking about ringu yeah, well, then I don't have to watch more shitty movies for this podcast. Um, <laughs> thank God, thank God. I won't um, be interrupted anymore. But the premise seems to be, um, I mean, and it's the kind of thing that people who finance movies love. It's like a simple premise. It's like, what if there was a video shot by a ghost? You're right. Um, it is, it's Korean, and the main character is a, a Korean film student, and... I was getting that little prickle at the back of my neck where I was like, okay, is this just going to be like too like self-reflexive for words, but I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. That Um, was kind of what I, what I felt going in watching uh, the one cut of the dead, which is about a zombie movie that is, uh, that is disrupted by zombies, (laughs) but it isn't. And after you see it, you're like, Oh, this is not what I thought it was at all, which is actually redeems it because, you know, I have very little patience for zombie movies anymore. Same. And yeah. based on your recommendation, for that reason, I definitely want to see it because I'm like, well, mm-hmm. Tim is not just going to recommend a zombie movie to me because he knows how I feel about zombie movies. So right, it's yeah. probably going to be something special. So this has um, been us talking about movies that we haven't watched or finished. Yeah. Um. God damn. It's just because there's so much to talk about because... Found footage is, I mean, well, I don't the, know if the it's... The tough thing to, to, to do about with found footage is to stand out, I feel. Because, right. you know, if you can't see, like, you know, uh, you know, Bored Ape Yacht Club, the movie. Like, you know, you can't have, like, the found footage NFT. Like, that's already that's already been spent. Like, you can't be like, oh, these, this this event actually really for real happened. It's like, the the... You know, seminal movie for this genre is twenty years old and then some. Like, you can't 
put a new movie on Shutter and be like, oh yeah, this is based on true events. Like, no, it fucking isn't. I, I wasn't born yesterday. Yeah, that's so, that that ship has sailed. Yeah, so you have to 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 drive it further into whatever you know direction to to make it seem more more valid and one of the ones that I do want to talk about is, you know, horror in the high desert, because it does offer a framing device that completely blindsides you. It isn't just saying, Oh, here's, here's a spooky VHS tape with events that actually happened on it. And you're just supposed to take it as, you know, authentic when you're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's clever and very au courant in its framing device, which is, which has a lot to do with why I got drawn into it and also as a conclusion which is genuinely fucking scary. Yeah, you we'll want to talk about fear. Yeah. Um <laughs> so stay tuned. <laughs> but um you know to kind of um you know get this back on the track. Maybe we should go back to what is considered the kind of the prototypical found footage horror movie. Um okay. It is well why don't you tell us about it tim uh i would but i don't know what you're talking about the mcpherson tape okay yeah we're talking about going back even further than um than blair witch there's the mcpherson 10 years tape. earlier yeah, yeah which is which is like a decade in in uh movie terms <laughs> <laughs> is that metric yes it's the the metric year that the the french switched to for about a week. Uh, yeah, and the McPherson <laughs> tape is... And speaking of, you know, VHS, VHS does... McPherson tape is about um, an alien invasion at, like, a remote house. And there is a VHS segment that is basically the same idea. And it being VHS, it is much more intense and gaudy um, mm-hmm. rather than the McPherson tape, which is kind of low-key. And it does follow that same... Um, Do you mean low-key or low-budget? <laughs> a little, Yeah, a little bit of both. Low light, that too, because it was a VHS camcorder, <laughs> and yeah, here the uh, the f stop on those was what like eight, so you aren't getting a lot of um, a lot of detail in, in a lot of these shots. But yeah, it was amazing. They actually um, they actually had like a ten k in there, but you know yeah, the still, still camcorder just wasn't capable shadows. of yeah. yeah. Um, or so, they were using a camcorder, but they put on, like, one of those lenses that Kubrick used for Barry Lyndon. They got from, like, <laughs> fucking NASA. Because they were like, oh, well, you know, the power goes out, and so we're going to be shooting by candlelight. So they put, they put like, this giant NASA lens on, like, their Sony Handycam. Yeah. And they uh, gave the actors, like, those braces that they use for, like, daguerreotypes to keep them steady <laughs> so that they remain in focus. It was really hard to move the camera at all. Yeah. Um, all this is true facts, by the way. Yeah. But... So, yeah, making a handheld movie with a 0.7 f-stop is exceedingly difficult. <laughs> That's why Kubrick had to do, you know, 160 takes. <laughs> I thought it was just because he was an asshole. I mean, hey, it can, it can be both. Six of one, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So the McPherson tape is from the 80s, and that is a shot-on-video horror of, uh, of an alien invasion. And yeah, like I said, there's a, a version of that in I think VHS two, but it is just uh, it, it follows the same um, uh, the same structure that we we're talking about, where it is you know thirty minutes of nothing. It's you know a kid's birthday. It is you know playing cards with grandma. 
It's, you know, ribbing your relatives and being like, hey, I got the sweet camcorder and wasting time while you establish the characters. And to say establish the characters, I'm being generous with that. It is reminding that there are five or so different people and this is what they look like. They, I mean, they tried. Right. Well, they, I, they tried I, for, I will... with nothing to start with. Right. And, um, but did, and this was definitely something that I wanted to ask after you watched it was, um, did you catch the little kind of middle child dynamic that was going on in the movie? I mean, I, I caught one person being like constantly browbeaten by the others and I'm like, yeah, I can feel that. So you did. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) That was definitely something that the director, uh, a guy called Dean Aliotto actually admitted to. He said that he had that kind of dynamic in the film because it was one that he'd like kind of personally experienced. So, you know, I think he was drawing on his own. Right. What you know, yeah, there it is. Right. Um, and that did, that did tickle me because at first, um, cause like I said earlier, the movie starts off like pretty dull, which, uh, that's how these movies, these movies yeah, have to start y- out dull. Yeah. You can expect that because you're like, why would someone, um, start, you know, in media res about an alien invasion? It's, these are supposed to be like, sudden things that happen yeah and honestly that would probably be more realistic but like narratively it would be kind of fucked so they want to they want to ease you in your movie would be 20 minutes long right so um i thought that maybe this movie was going to be maybe they should try that maybe that would work better i don't know perhaps yeah maybe starting where you whip out the phone being like what is that right um, and then you get eaten immediately. Um, yeah, so. it's a an anthology it, it's horror film where they're all. It's an anthology horror film where all the segments are like four seconds long. <laughs> That's hard to do, but yeah, um, just being hit by a tire. Oh, <laughs> Rubber two. Yeah, um, the four second sequel. I thought that this movie was going to be maybe some like not that great improv and not very well drawn characters, but. Uh, mm. I don't want to say an attempt was made. I think it, they did a reasonable job for a movie that was made for like about a dollar. Right, yeah. Um, for something that was like, let's get five people together in this place that we already have access to and did just shoot for two hours. Right. So I do I do like that there actually are sort of like perceptible characters in this. Like you got a couple of asshole brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, you got the middle child brother. Um other characters are slightly less well-defined, except for mom, yeah, grandma, again, mom slash grandma. <laughs> yeah. Again, like more asshole characters where it's like, I, I'm tuning out at that. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. it's because I just see it so consistently where it's like, why do I want to spend any time with this person? I mean, at least it isn't just like kind of horny, cunty teenagers, but it's like, you know, we've all, we've all had holidays with our family. Like we've all, we've been here like, <laughs> unless, like, unless you're one of the lucky people who is like no contact with your shitty family. Like we've experienced this. Or even just the, the outside notion that you get along. <laughs> I mean, disgusting. So, yeah. Someone has to be like that. I, I guess. I don't know. I don't want to see that Norman Rockwell shit. Fuck that. But why not Norman Rockwell alien invasion? Because that, that's the thing where, and I, I think I talked about this before. We've done more episodes than I, I can count than I care to remember. But that was, that always Tim seemed like. Tim can only count up to 150. I can only count to. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not there to give you a treat. Yeah, well, 
you know, recording this podcast is a treat, and subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> every time, uh, every time Tim completes an episode, I feed him a little uh, some candy corn off the palm of my hand. Right. Yeah. Some peppermints. Um, it, it was a thing that I think horror at some point shied away from about being authentic because you'll see it and it's something that like with age and I, I I mentioned this on my MySpace a while ago um, <laughs> that there's a point where like what where you watch like Nightmare on Elm Street and like you see all the kids getting killed by Freddy and you're like oh this must be so devastating to their parents <laughs> <laughs> like we're finally like that perspective flips a little mm-hmm. and it and it's something like you know in the same way that like spielberg swapped out you know the guns and et with walkie talkies where you become like you know soft as shit um mm-hmm. in your old age there's something that happened in in horror where the characters just kind of became laughably expendable there's there's not any sort of point where you feel you know pathos and grief for for you know Kevin Bacon getting stabbed through the neck with an arrow. We're just like, ah, these are just disposable assholes. Let's watch it. Let's laugh as we watch them die. Because mm-hmm. it creates a a comfortable kind of cynical buffer between you and the movie. Like, you don't allow yourself an opportunity to be actually scared by it, or worse, emotionally affected. Because, right. you know, you're just kind of laughing it off. It's, you know, it's... it's I mean, at least Scream, you know, uh, sort of turned into the skid. Or, you know... Where they're mm-hmm. like, we're gonna, we're gonna commit to this bit where it's like everyone, you know, is dumb and makes stupid decisions and they get killed for it. But outside of that, when they're playing it straight, that's the problem is that if you have just like, oh, here's another horror movie with a bunch of expendable assholes, it's like, well, why do I care whether this person gets killed? I might actually be relieved to see them die. <laughs> well, it's possible that, um, and you know, Scream was incredibly, incredibly popular and, mm-hmm. um, in a way, like, helped revive horror as a genre. Right. Um, but, you know, that's Wes Craven, who'd, like, been there, done that, and who... He's pretty good. ...understands, like, what it takes to make, like, compelling characters in situations. Like, in a, in, in a horror film, it's not just all the people who, like, saw Scream or saw Nightmare on Elm Street or saw Last House on the Left or saw Blair Witch Project. We're like, oh, fuck, like, that would be sick if we made a fucking movie. Yeah, that's how you got the last slumber party. <laughs> or paranormal activity. Uh, Dude, wouldn't it be so sick if I, like, remodeled my house and, like, made a movie in it? Yeah, I tell you what. You hit the chandelier with this broom, and then I'll come out, and I'll act really scared by it. <laughs> I mean, you know, it it is... It is an inexpensive way to make a film if you already live in, like, a real shitty San Diego McMansion. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's Ugh. living in San Diego that is the true horror. Oh, um, yeah. Go fuck yourself, San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you at Comic Con. Um, the other uh thing too about McPherson tape is that yeah, you have character development and it's, it's kind of through janky improv. And something that I wanted to point out too is that um, there's the scene of the characters just kind of uh, joshing around, improving in the Evil Dead. And that doesn't go well. And that's the, um, you know, the director, you know, Sam Raimi is talking about this is why you don't let actors improv because they're just like, unless you're Mike Lee. Right. Yeah. They're just kind of coming up with stuff that doesn't really go anywhere. And it's like, okay, we got to like, this is fine. as just like some loose character building stuff. 
but um, it's another. Um, oh shit! Oh, another movie that I hate. Um, Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood's New Blood. That has a lot of actors either delivering terrible dialogue or sort of improvising their scenes because there are uh that is another movie of assholes in the woods um and it's it is actors at a retreat and like they're trying to come up with something to to talk about for their you know their totem is to inspire them in their scene and it's just yeah it's just actors just kind of rambling on much like i'm doing now I think actors need a firm hand, you know, exactly. like a, yeah. so, like a dog. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying, you know, they are cattle. I'm saying they should be treated like cattle. Thank you, Alfred. Right. So you get kind of a similar um, improv uh, cadence in McPherson tape as you do when you let actors improv. When you I f- let actors I f- go off without a script. I feel as though maybe it was because my expectations were so low. Uh-huh. Because I was like, okay, you know, this is like made on a camcorder for about five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and it's like a bunch of no names. And the director's like, oh yeah, I hired like some local improv actors. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Right. Yeah. So maybe I was just taken aback because, and um, this is important to mention, um, a version of the film without any credits uh, made the rounds of uh, UFOologists circles Mm -hmm. and there were people who were convinced it was real well you know props to the filmmaker now that they get any residuals off of that and um this is this is the thing about that because and i don't i don't remember what the fuck this movie was it howard's mill or something like that grover's mill I well, there was a movie that I found on Tubi that I started watching because I thought it was a true crime documentary. But like mm-hmm. in five minutes, I was like, "Oh, this is fake." Oh, and then I stopped watching. Um, I did not even knowing that McPherson tape is staged, that mm-hmm. it is actors improving, and you know it's a uh, it's fake. I did not go like, oh shit, this is so fake. These people are obviously like it. It's it's credible improv in my okay. opinion. Yeah, it it maybe um, if there's a line between like entertainment and verisimilitude or authenticity, it leans more on the authenticity side. Where like, no, it doesn't have a three act structure because it's real life. You know, it's that thing. You know, the difference between stories in real life is that stories have to make sense. So it mm-hmm. kind of I can see them deliberately making that choice of being like look we're just gonna let the camera roll how whatever happens happens uh people you know stay in your characters we're gonna introduce some aliens and then whatever we get at the end it's a it's a document of what happened we aren't Mm -hmm. you know forcing drama into this we aren't faking it we're just putting out a thing and if it seems you know, if it seems not entertaining, I guess to to be um, uh, not particularly uh, mm. judicious about it, then it's because yeah, it's it's like real life. It's like you're having things in here that don't. You're having plot threads that don't pay off. You're having you know moments of what seem like wasted time because that's what you would find on a real tape. And if they, I I can see them making that choice to present the McPherson tape as that because it's the boring stuff that makes it look more real. And that's what they're after. 
Right. And the other thing uh, to mention is that um, I read the anecdote about <clears throat> it fooling people before I watched it. So, uh-huh. you know, I was and I saw stills from the movie like those um, those are not like the most convincing grays like in, in still no, format. No, no. Um, so I was like, God, like you would have to be like a fucking dumbass to think this is real. And or, you watching know, it, you're probably watching a, you know, a multi-generation copy on, you know, a 13 inch CRT. Ooh, that's a really, that's actually a really fucking good point. Right. But, um, like I was saying upon watching it, I was like, okay, like this, I could, and it probably helps to be like really, really anxious to find proof yeah. of visitors, but I was like, okay, like this isn't this isn't like the obvious work that I would have suspected from reading about the film mm-hmm. and seeing stills from it. It's like, oh well, damn, this looks like it could plausibly be someone's like birthday get together that goes horribly wrong. Right. Yeah. I mean, hell, they even did you know just a uh, a, a Susan of that in uh, Signs. Yes. Where it's like, oh, here's the kid's birthday, and, uh, and then an alien's walking down the street. Ah, that yeah. part is actually legitimately scary. Right, yeah. So they took the McPherson tape and distilled it down into, you know, an aside. Right. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's probably, if McPherson tape was made at the time, at the same time as signs, that's probably something that you would get. So, you know, you kind of got a grade on a curve of, you know, like the X-Files hadn't even come out yet. Yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, what was this, 1989 or something? Yeah. And this is a sad thing about McPherson tape. It was um, all set. It was bootlegged. No. Well, no, no, no. It was all set for a wider release, like as not as proof of alien visitation. It was set for, you know, like a VHS release Mm -hmm. um, as, you know, labeled as, you know, a fiction film or something. And it had a distributor, but then there was a warehouse fire. Oh. And the the movie never really got that wide of a distribution. And in fact, it was probably more widely circulated in the beginning, like among like UFO communities. Yeah. So this may be why the McPherson tape, well, for a lot of different reasons, but the McPherson tape didn't have the cultural, quite the cultural impact of the Blair Witch Project because you know they didn't they didn't fucking take it to Sundance. <laughs> Classic mistake. Uh, well, it's not even that. It's like you know you have you're like oh shit we got a distributor this is fucking great right yeah. oh shit our warehouse burned down. Right. Yeah. Or that's what they want you to believe. <gasps> Fuck. You know? Yeah. Shit. Burned Fuck. down by space lasers. Jewish space lasers. Yep. Yeah. The by the Jew run media. Wait, so someone's knocking on my door. Hang on. <laughs> oh, thank you, Kanye. But anyway. Um, uh, I hope he loses all his money. Yeah, it, it would be funny. Um, certainly access to his children. But right. uh, yeah, so McPherson tape didn't really have the opportunity to, to get break wide. Yeah. as culturally significant as the Blair Witch Project mm-hmm. did. But such is life and you know that despite the alien costumes not looking that great because if it were made today you know someone you wouldn't just hire local kids you get like 
you know, a uh, what an uh, endomorphic mime with like you know acrobatics training to be like, hey, can you really weird up this alien? I feel like today the aliens would look weird in like a different shitty way because the aliens in McPherson tape are literally played by eight-year-old children, like right? Little girls in gray alien masks, and they're shot. To be fair, they're shot from a distance. It's mm. not like you get like a real close. You don't need like a close-up look at the aliens, right? Um, it's probably better that you don't get a close-up look. Yeah, hide at the them. monster. You know, like Blair Witch did. They hid, hid the monster for the entirety of the film. Smart. Um, <laughs> and well, yeah, like I, that was the thing that Sean pointed out too, where he's like, when you get to the end, is it going to be like like an old woman just like running around going? <laughs> Because it's like, that would be a huge disappointment, and we wouldn't be talking about Blair Witch now if they'd it's, shown the witch. It's going to be uh, the witch from the wonderful land of Oz. I Well, you know, that's kind of horrifying. But, you know, she's going to have, like, you know, a hooked nose and a pointy hat and, like, waving a, a, a broom around. Gonna it's going have... to be the witch from Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's scary, right? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, she sings a song and it's terrifying. Yeah, it's going to be interminable. I feel that today it would be some awful CGI monster. Um, in the same, kind of the same vein as a found footage movie that, which I dislike very much, uh, Cloverfield. I know everyone fucking thinks Cloverfield is great, but. Yeah, who found that footage and why couldn't they just put it back? If you want to talk about shitty characters arguing and getting killed like that's cloverfield <laughs> like yeah. i just really hate too. all of the people in cloverfield i hate jj abrams i hate that's the way he yeah. writes screenplays i hate him i hate him i hate him please go away forever and you, take your little pal damon lindell off with you you could even argue that that's you know kind of the nadir of found footage movies is when you know they got that big that you can have jj abrams ruin it you know with a big budget <laughs> Movie. And and yet it hasn't killed the genre. It's still shambling along. But that I and you know I know people like the monster in Cloverfield, and I like I guess it's fine. But there's a point where it's just like not scary. Like looking at the megalophobia subreddit is scarier than right. Cloverfield. Yeah, and I mean there is there's something there, but. Yeah, well, well, it's it's pointless to nitpick monster design. Either it works or it doesn't. I don't know. But maybe, um, I feel like the you know gray aliens are sort of passe at this point. Um, there's been like an explosion of like really strong conceptual art, concept artists being able to get their material out there. Like it's you know any talented artist can get a you know well maybe not a deviant art page, but you know you can get on Behance. You can get on Instagram. You can show your cool monsters to everyone. But all those monsters just kind of look like... Like, they all look... They're kind of samey or uninspired? You know what? Like, I... When I was a teenager, I really loved um, the book Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials. And, yeah. like, I feel that there isn't... That there haven't been many... Like, it's all hack at this point. It's like everybody saw that book and was like, oh, fuck, that's cool. I'll, I'll do that. And there's like this glut of 
kind of cool looking monsters that aren't really iconic. It's it, that's what it is. It's the, the, you're, you're right. Like to say that they're samey is correct is because they're all like kind of the same, Generic. like sinewy sort of digitally rendered on a Wacom tablet kind of looking monsters that, and there, there was one, for example, in the opening of spoilers, in the opening of uh, Warning, Do Not Play, like when there's a reveal of the monster, it's like, oh, it's like some... (laughs) I told you not to, Jen. I told you, Tim, I want to die. But um, when the monster, when you see the monster, it's like, okay, like it's this sinewy thing that's kind of like bloody looking and it lunges at the camera. It's like... It's gross. Okay, shit. Yeah. Um, It's not that exciting. And uh, I... I don't know. Monsters aren't that exciting. Like, and compare that to um, sort of the, I, and it's hack to say it, but like the iconic monsters of say, like the old universal horror shit. Mm-hmm. Like, and we all fucking know what Frankenstein's monster looks, looks like, like the Karloff version. Yeah. And, but if you put on the 1931 Frankenstein, if you go to the Criterion channel, Put on the 1931 Frankenstein and tell me that that reveal of the creature isn't fucking breathtaking, like, all these years later. Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, it endures. It's an enduring image and design. And that's yeah. you know, kind of why it set the high watermark in the same way that, you know, that's why a lot of these found footage movies emulate, you know, Blair Witch. It's, it's, it set the mold. Yeah. And a lot of but, these monsters are like different in their own way. Like they have some kind of characteristic mm-hmm. that, you know, reasons why they are the way they are. And I think a lot of the problem with other monsters is it's like, yeah, right. So like, it's just a different version of something that we kind of already know, but it's like, what is, what is this monsters, you know, what is its deal? What is it about? And I think maybe that's the, the concept that's missing in a lot of this concept art. Yeah, it's because they all look like Witchblade action figures. I don't know. Yeah, it could be it. Uh, one of the things, just as an aside, that I liked about um, sort of retconning the gray alien image, because, you know, we've seen, you know, kids in, you know, paper mache masks with, you know, like the big bug eyes, but it looks really fakey. I do like, you know, a, a, a dramatization of actual events, uh, the alien abduction movie Fire in the Sky, Oh yeah, like very memorable effects in that movie, even yeah. though the movie itself is not that memorable. Right, yeah. Um yeah, and I can't believe at the time, you know, uh my dad tried to explain to me that it wasn't real, but what does he know? Um <laughs> But the thing that I liked about that movie is the way that they dealt with the appearance of the gray alien is that the gray alien that you come to know, like that's their spacesuit. And it's like, oh, okay, I can buy that. That's why it looks fakey. Because it's, you know, oh. a plastic helmet with a visor. Oh, neat. Yeah. And I'm like, that's cool. That makes sense. That's a way of explaining why they, you know, why these aliens are walking around in, you know, like a black leotard with a plastic <laughs> head. It's like, oh, it's their spacesuit. <laughs> and there's a real gross, lumpy alien with sagging skin and little beady eyes under that. Yeah. And another, another thing, too, if you want to talk about you know, the sameness of a lot of alien designs and even the history of the gray alien. Cause I know we talked about it in an earlier episode when, um, as m- mentioning Betty and Barney Hill, 
Mm-hmm. Betty, of course, having this obsession about alien abductions and Barney being like, yeah, fine, you crazy. Why do they not have no fault divorce yet? So the <laughs> two of them putting up with each other, Betty going on and on about this alien abduction thing and she describing the gray alien, which is, I think, an idea that came from an episode of the Twilight Zone that was on and around at the time and her, you know, being an impressionable you know, dummy being like, Oh yeah, that's the alien that I saw. And then Mm -hmm. that became the pervasive, um, uh, appearance of aliens where it's like, Oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. It's like us, but in the future we'd all be like little and spindly and hairless with big eyes. Like, yeah, you can kind of make sense of that. But before that, it was like golden age sci-fi aliens where it's just like, Oh, and this one has, um, gold skin and this one is made of fire and just like, what the fuck? Like, it was just off the hook. Like, that's yeah. what people were describing their alien encounters. And then it all kind of, you know, through like sort of mass media consolidation became its gray aliens and flying saucers. Well, I think, and that's kind of the enchanting thing about Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials is that because it's drawing from classic science fiction, right, you get like yeah. a, you get a whole cantina full of like weird fucking aliens. Yeah. Some more plausible than others. Right, yeah. So, to to see that more, to see more distinctive designs in your aliens or your monsters, like that is interesting and appealing. Right. Right. So I don't know how we got on that topic, other than you know the gray alien costumes look kind of phony in the McPherson tape, but there they are ways work, around that. They work well enough for what the movie is um, right and the movie the is, final you know, the payoff of the movie is 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 chilling yeah the payoff is you get to see the aliens they have invaded yeah and just um it's uh you know it's like a perfectly cut scream it's uh it's a very uh it's a shocking bit of editing and you know it does it does sell the whole premise very well yeah and i'd like to um there's a book that was pointed out to me i'm not going to read it because I can't. Um, there's a book. <laughs> Tim can't read. Yeah. <laughs> Why can't Tim read? It's my favorite <laughs> Timmy it's Amos he's too album. Busy. It's because he's too busy napping. Oh, yeah, for real. That reminds me. Um, but anyway, no, it's a book pointed out to me. You called... want to take the rest of the episode off? I want to take the rest of my life off. Um... <laughs> well, I got this video you should watch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> it'll only, we'll only have to do one more episode. <laughs> um hang on there's a so girl coming a... out of my tv <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you had a book that you uh that you can't read yeah it was called roadside picnic and i can't just not read it because it's in russian but it it is it kind of bears a similarity to uh the the basic premise of mcpherson tape because in mcpherson tape the lights go out in the house and they go outside and they see a UFO and there are a couple of aliens arguing, which kind of in a nice um, sort of postmodern sense, like, you know, if this were Rick and Morty or something, it would be like a kid getting his learner's permit or something. It's like, ah, oh, I can't believe you crashed into the earth again. Um, <laughs> but Roadside Picnic kind of has a um, an interesting take on uh, kind of like, you know, was it Rendezvous with Rama? Uh, right. That is Arthur C. Clark. Yeah, that is aliens come, but they aren't about you. Like they're just they're here to do a thing and then they leave. Because mm-hmm. you know, roadside picnic is the aliens show up, they um 
uh, fuck up like huge swaths of the earth accidentally, just like random places where it's like, it's like uh, what that Annihilation movie with um, oh yeah yeah with what's her name Padme, um, <laughs> but yeah it's it's like a weird place where it's like ah just don't go there, um so it, it is interesting in that it gives the alien some unknowable character beyond just being like ah we're here to steal your girlfriend and take her to Mars. Um, yeah, like kind of the um, kind of the fifties model of alien invaders, where the, the aliens are always entranced by our Earth cone bras. Right. Yeah. So this one, so in this book, it's um, the alien. You know, the, the aliens stop at a number of places, leave their garbage behind, basically, <laughs> and then leave. They're just like us. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm thinking of what um, Betty Draper and that having the picnic in the one episode of Mad Men. Like, that is the one, I think, evocative moment from that entire boring series. Is is Because, yeah, they stop and have, like, a roadside picnic. And, you know, they, you know, have their lunch or whatever. And, you know, they, um, you know, uh, have their drinks and, you know, take the wrapping off their sandwiches. And then, you know, at the end, she, you know, shakes out the blanket and just leaves all the trash behind and they go. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, that was a different time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, in the same way that, you know, this is kind of a roadside picnic, um, of, of the aliens and they're just passing through mm-hmm. and, you know, whoever is, uh, whatever human is unfortunate enough to be caught in their path, like they're, they're completely outclassed and, um, and baffled by whatever it is the aliens are doing here. So mm-hmm. there's an element of that in McPherson tape where it's like, we don't know what the aliens want. They're just, are they here to terrorize us or just dick around why are they even here you know alien reasons yeah they're um they're enigmatic and then actively malevolent yeah so and there's nothing you can really do about it it's just i mean they're uh that star-faring civilization you can't can't stand up against that unless you have the power of germs cannot stress that enough Dun, dun, dun. I mean, look what it did to humanity. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. The chances of anything coming from Mars were yeah. a million to one, they said. Great album. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we talked about that a few episodes ago. Yeah, so and, you know, on. I prefer the Alan Partridge cover of that. But, <laughs> speaking of returning to the well. Um, yes, the, the Alan Partridge project. Yes. <laughs> oh man Did, has he ever has he ever done a co- has uh steve coogan ever done a cover as alan partridge of eye in the sky oh because that would be very funny <laughs> that would be yeah <laughs> i mean you know he mostly sticks to the kate bush thing aha yes <laughs> the man with a child in his eyes <laughs> it's me a kathy <laughs> i'm so cold <laughs> Uh, oh, now but, we have to start an Alan Partridge jar. Yeah, yeah, I digress. Um, did you want to talk about the back rooms? Because I've been playing the Stanley Parable, and I'm primed for that. Oh, and yeah, that's um, that's kind of a, a a fun little diversion. And in fact, what was inspired what, and in fact, is what inspired the episode. Um, I found out about this little short called. Uh, back rooms i don't even remember where i heard about it but i went on youtube and watched it and i was like oh you know that's a that is a fun little horror short 
which mm-hmm. uh, is a little more interesting than the average creepypasta because this is one, uh, speaking of um, genres of our time, this is one that was inspired by creepypasta, which from you, I gather, is um, a thing on Reddit. That's really oh, popular. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you can't not mention, you know, SCP. Right, uh, yeah, yeah, which, uh, That's boy. sort of crowdsourced creepypasta yeah and it's a which is about as good as you would expect it's like it runs the gamut much as much like you know the videos for the back rooms right and my and uh just to kind of briefly touch on um uh scp that's a secure contain protect um it's a website which is basically like all creepypasta with like a shared um backstory yeah um each piece is an it's, it's like a report describing some kind of paranormal thing, and yeah, that's it has exactly its own. It. Yeah, it has its own jargon and its own sort of like loosely consistent um, uh, rules that they play by. And you know, some of them are like this is like you read it and you're like, oh, it's so scary. Then you're like, wait a minute, this is dumb and doesn't make any sense. But then there are other things that you're just like, ugh, it's very chilling. Well, yeah, my usual practice, because I like I've gone back periodically to to look at um, the SCP website, and because I don't have time to fuck around, I just go to the page that has the most highly rated oh, yeah, SCPs definitely. of all yeah. time. Because yeah. I'm like I'm not gonna wade through garbage to get to the good ones. I don't have the time or the inclination. And I have to say, the last time I visited the SCP website, I found that even, like, the top of the heap stuff, like, mm-hmm. 90% of it was just like, eh, that was okay. Yeah, it's like, I, I see what you're saying, but I'm not scared. But it does yeah. follow in kind of a tradition of, you know, horror, uh, you know, much like like what we're discussing uh, in this episode, you know, like the, the found footage horror. It has, you know, that veneer of authenticity to be like right yeah like we aren't just telling you a horror story we're telling we're giving you the authentic report of things that actually happened in the same way that mcpherson tape isn't saying we're gonna shoot this alien invasion it's like we're gonna have a kid's birthday party and aliens are gonna show up it's yeah the little the little frisson of verisimilitude is what Right, yeah, you and know, it's the same. The viewer. Yeah, and it goes, you know, even further back. You know, like H.P. Uh, Lovecraft stories are all, you know, this is the, you know, entry of the journal of the dead friend of the guy who's telling you the story, and you're right, like, oh and- shit, this really happened. Some guy said his friend wrote it in his journal. I guess it I must mean, be hey, true. That- yeah, I mean that goes back as at least as far as Poe, and maybe even further because like. Um, well, yeah, like, like the structure of, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, or, you know, I was going to say epi- like the, well, do you mean the movie or the book? <laughs> I mean the book. Okay. I I had a moment where I was like, wait, are you talking about the movie? Because that was after Poe. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, but I think I think you were hitting on the same thing I was, which was that, you know, it's epistolary in yeah. form. So it's like, okay, well, oh, no, maybe this happened because these are people writing about their experience. It's not like a storybook. Right, yeah. It isn't someone just making it up. It isn't someone saying, hey, there's a toaster that makes you refer to it as yourself. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, is it, what the hell? But it's like, no, if it's, if it's this is a report of someone who described this thing that happened. You're like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, that's pretty freaky. One more thing about... Because uh, it is couched in, like, you know, the language of, 
I'm just telling you something that I heard. Right. Um, and one more thing about uh, the SCP mm-hmm. website. Um, I went back and read one of the articles that I found like genuinely scary. Um, yeah. The imagery in it was memorable. Um, mm-hmm. It was, uh, and maybe some of you are familiar with this. It's, and I don't know, you've probably read it, Tim. It's the one with like a basically like a never ending stairwell. I uh, probably, yeah. Well, I think they cribbed that from House of Leaves. Uh, probably, but yeah. this it it's it's one of the it's one of the older pieces in the site. It's been it's been continually popular. It's still very mm-hmm. highly rated. Um, but because I think it was written like in the you know like mid two thousands, like I went back and looked at it and I was like, huh, like this is still like a scary premise, but yeah. A thing that bothers me about the way it's written is um, that, okay, like a basic tenet of the SCP universe is that you have these disposable um, test subjects. Yeah. Um, it's implied that these are, you know, prisoners or people that are otherwise procured because it doesn't fucking matter if they get killed horribly. Yeah, they won't be missed, yeah. And in this particular one, <clears throat> there was... Uh, at one point, they sent in a black guy, and mm-hmm. usually the uh, the test subject, or I think they're like D class subjects whatever. or whatever. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, they're not usually identified by any. Um, you know, they certainly they certainly don't have names. They just have a number, and they aren't usually described except just in the most rudimentary ways mm-hmm. but this one is described as an african-american male and sure enough like the writer gives him dialogue which is like just really kind of shitty like almost ebonics ah. and then when they send a woman down there she's like eh, i'm a woman like i don't know what i'm doing eh. and i was like jesus christ these are this is horrible these are real these are bad renderings of There's like the real horror yeah people it's, it's like oh like oh yeah like like uh like yeah who's black guy and he's like yo boss like i don't like, word i don't know about this motherfucking shit like for shizzy <laughs> and it's like oh god like why would you do that and then the woman's like eh, i'm scared mm-hmm. it's it's terrible and <laughs> i read through the comments to see if anyone else noticed it and this story is still getting like comments mm. like years later it's like, oh yeah this is one of the best scps nobody noticed the shitty dialogue <laughs> i guess it's the strength of the premise but you know the same way that i just you know i i you know zoom in on the uh you know shitty bickering characters in horror where i'm just like oh this is awful i can't enjoy this yeah like even the parentheticals ugh. for the woman is like oh read this in a high whiny voice yeah That's, that seemed unnecessary like, you know, when you ask a woman to take part in, like, a dangerous science experiment, she, mm-hmm. she's like, eh, like, is it going to, like, affect my manicure? And, like, I don't want to do this. I want to go to the mall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always putting on her makeup when the monster's right behind her. Uh, like, can we just, like, go get, like, pumpkin spice lattes? Like, <laughs> Doing yoga when, like, everyone else is trying to hide. It's, yeah. Wow. Shit sucks. True, and- yeah. That is, um, that was kind of a strength of, uh, to drag it back to our original premise for the episode that I felt like that was kind of a strength of the Blair Witch project Mm -hmm. where you had, um, 
you had a female character, and this probably came out of like the the improv. Um, okay. This is like a woman creating a character, not like a woman like rendering like the shitty character given to her by like a bad filmmaker. Um, you had a woman in charge of the project in the film um, who is obviously, you know, competent, but gets in a little bit over her head and which and who is believable in her reactions. Like she's not um, she's not just helpless and she's not leaning on the the men in the expedition. In fact, the men like really fucking fail, like in the clutch. Yeah. But she does have her moments of terror and, and vulnerability, which is very important to a horror film. So I felt like that was a strength of the Blair Witch Project, in spite of like the kind of thin premise. Yeah, I didn't like any of those characters for reasons as I, that I stated. Um, well, I don't want to hang out. I, I, I don't want to <laughs> hang out with any of those people. But like as human beings, like like way in over their heads in the wilderness on kind of a poorly planned trip. Like I was like, okay, I buy this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was newer at the time, but like a type A person getting in over their head doesn't seem particularly novel to me. It seems like kind of a trope of its own, but hmm. I mean, better better than just being a shrinking violet, I guess. Fair. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's neither here or there. It's a matter of opinion. The point is, uh, SCP is a kind of creepy pasta. The back rooms are kind of creepy pasta, and you saw a video about that on YouTube about it being an actual real place where someone took a video camera in and filmed it. Yeah, and it's it's very clever and involves some clever use of uh, special effects. Mm -hmm. um, Tim, because you're the more avid Redditor, maybe you can tell the nice people what the back rooms is, because I hadn't even fucking heard of it All right. <laughs> until uh, you told yeah. me what it was. Uh, on its face, it is stupid. Um <laughs> So creepy pasta that's uh, greatly admired on Reddit, you say? Yeah, I, yeah, get ready. Um, but yeah, the the central horrifying idea of the back rooms was what if an empty office building? Ah, uh, I yeah. mean, I'm a, I'm I'm afraid of office buildings, but it's just because like I never want to work there, an office yeah, job ever again. Yeah, there's work there. You don't want to go back there because you don't want to do any work. Fuck um, no. Yeah, but it's it's like, you know, the same kind of childhood fear of like, I don't know, getting lost at the mall. It's that sort of idea. Mm -hmm. Um and it is abstracted. This like I there is a core valid fear in there that is then um mapped onto a more modern relatable um environment, which I think is valid. It is because the back rooms are basically, it is like an abandoned office building that goes on forever. It is the, you know, classic Greek labyrinth, right? Right. And yeah. just like the labyrinth, there's a minotaur in it. Ooh. And, you know, we already know what a minotaur is. You can, you know, accept that. But if it's something even weirder than that, then you aren't prepared for it. So it's the basic idea of the labyrinth mapped onto an office building. Um and the interesting thing about it is that it isn't quite an office building. And, you know, there all are also um, notions of uh, the Winchester Mystery House, which, if you aren't from Northern California, is an overbuilt mansion in, like, Alameda that was just constantly built upon without any regard to, um, like, layout or sensibilities. Like, they have doors that open into a sink 
you know, on the lower level, they have a stairway that doesn't go anywhere. So Yeah, due to the due to the superstition of the owner. Right. There is a great episode uh, of Skeptoid about the history of the Winchester Mystery House, which is eye-opening, to say the least. Um, Shouts out to Skeptoid. Shout out to Skeptoid. Um, um, but yeah, they are. But but yeah, that's the basic idea is that the back rooms are you're trapped in an empty building with no way out. Um, and none of the layout makes any kind of sense. Right. Um, the irony is that it isn't an office building and it is, in fact, misleading to, to call the back rooms because is it, it is really the back hallways. Right. Because the, it. The idea is the same thing as being lost in that you don't have any kind of safe haven. There isn't like a room you can crawl into. You're, you know, you're a mouse evading a cat in an empty room. There's nowhere to hide. Mm -hmm. And I think that that like lower mammalian fear is what drives the um, sort of the spookiness of the idea behind the back rooms is that there's nowhere there's nowhere to hide. There's no home here. Right. And um like in a primal level you could kind of understand that and I think mm-hmm. it's why um things like creepy pasta or like cursed images or things like that that you find mm-hmm. online are um have a certain potency to them because it's like ooh like it evokes something in your in your lizard brain. Yeah. That's scary. Um unfortunately I feel like that's enough for some people. I mean, it's a start. It is interesting in that... um, Like, I feel like that's the audience of Paranormal Activity. (laughs) Like, where it's like, oh, like, it's on video, and, like, she just, like, stands there for a long time. It's like, that's scary, right? That's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, okay, like, yeah, like, you get a little bit of a a chill seeing it, because you're like, okay, this isn't normal human behavior, but then you're like, okay, and? and? Right. That's where I'm at with a lot of my movie watching and why I get um, often frustrated with like kind of like uh, not even just film Twitter, but just like the broader like public opinion where I'm like, you people really don't want anything else out of your fucking movies. Like you're fine with this. Right. Yeah. Just like, oh, what a scary idea. Yeah. And it's part of why um, Cure affected me so much is because like yes it's scary yes it has mood and frightening images but it builds on um like this base of extremely interesting and chilling themes very sophisticated themes that are resonant even if you're not japanese um Mm -hmm. i mean japan has its own unique problems yeah japan has its own unique problems as does America, but there's like a certain, um, uh, there's like a societal alienation and like a darkness to humanity, which is universal. And I think that's why, you know, J-horror kind of like made the leap across. But then I guess for some people, like it's scary enough that the girl with the long hair crawls out of the TV, which is admittedly very scary. Right. Yeah. That. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, that doesn't really make your case because that is pretty scary. But I feel that, um, you know, for things like the back rooms, like, um, and it is, I mean, it is kind of cool that, um, and maybe that's part of the appeal of creepypasta is that people can take these ideas and build on them. It's not just like, ooh, a scary room. And that was one thing I liked about um, the uh, back room short is that, um, like, yes, it is. It's like, okay, this could plausibly be a room, like, in a hotel. It reminded me of, like, um, you know, when you wander into kind of like the conference room area of a hotel. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like they're all these huge, like, disused rooms. It, like, had that feel to it. Yeah, or even, like, you know, if you go into a stairwell where it's, like, it's a one-way door, where, like, oh, you can get into the stairwell, but it's, like, you can't go back the way you came. It's, like, god damn it. Yeah, and, um, you know, that those familiar things are scary, but I liked the way that, and maybe they were drawing from people's creepypasta ideas, like, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. But then when it kind of moved into, like, uh, surrealism, like dream logic where it's like oh there's like a there's a an opening high up on the wall with a ladder leading to it like that's fucking weird like you don't see that in hotels right what is that yeah or um and then as the as the short goes on and the architecture just gets fucking weirder yeah it kind of uh was a little reminiscent of the cube movies as well yeah and that was something which um fuck and we had a recent episode where i feel like i missed the opportunity to talk about surrealism um and that episode was mother which oh (laughs) no um and uh and a lot of people had problems with mother because of um kind of like the uh yes a lot of people do have problems with mother (laughs) norman um people had problems with that movie because of kind of like the barefaced um simplicity of the premise and the fact that it doesn't hang together the way a lot huh kind of the way the bible does if you really look at it intensely well i mean you know that is also in its own way anthology horror you know it's just a bunch of stories (laughs) compiled by different authors you know yeah, and, uh, oh, shit, so I'm going to make a horror movie out of the 19th chapter of the Book of Judges. Look that one up. But um, <laughs> the um, I saw I saw this point made, and I don't know if it was even maybe made by Aronofsky himself. I think it was, where he spoke about um, not just Buñuel, but just like kind of like surrealistic filmmaking in general, which is not really a thing anymore. Um, I think... Yeah, it ended with the 70s uh, auteur wave. Well, and I think it's partly because there isn't necessarily the most receptive audience for it because we live in an age of social media where everything is so relentlessly picked over and kind of the stock reaction is like, I don't know, like, you know, I just didn't, you know, it was just, I didn't believe it. Like, it didn't make sense. Like, you can't really do surrealism anymore in a universe where superheroes have been made realistic, like, Mm. quote unquote. Um people don't buy into surrealism anymore or like, and I don't know, like I think maybe at the time people didn't buy into surrealism because it's like, what is this fucked up degenerate shit? You know, people have always been like kind of shitty and reactionary in that way. But you, there was a time when you could kind of go with dream logic Mm -hmm. and people would roll with it. And that's kind of the feel of the back rooms where it, it's like, okay, well, um, this is a large disused space, but oh shit, like the further I go, like the less sense this space, this entire building makes. Yeah, I, I hate to bring it up again because I think I mentioned it, or like I just harped on it in like episode 48 or something, <laughs> but it was the concept of the Nega Dungeon, which someone else in you know the tabletop gaming community had um, put forth. It is the idea that the longer that you continue on this path, the worse it gets, like there's no reward for continuing to do this. So I don't remember just... talking about that, so it's. I think it's fair for you to bring it up. <laughs> All right, great, yes. 
So yeah, I'm you know, not bored of this topic. It's something that I mentioned offhandedly in 2017, and you know now I'm gonna bring it up again. No, the idea that the, the further that you continue on to a particular path, just the worse it gets for you. Where it is kind of a, a common uh, structure in horror movies, where it's like, look, if you just like went home, you would be fine. But you know, if you had to find out more about this thing, or if you had to continue investigating whatever this issue is, or if you had to keep chasing the monster then things only get worse for you the longer you continue. So it's in that same way, you know, the backrooms kind of follows that same uh, that same form because as you get further into it, the weirder it gets. There's no relief. Yeah, there's no relief. There, there's no escape. There's no respite. There's, you know, you can't, speaking of RPGs, you can't even take a short rest you know, in the backrooms <laughs> because there's nowhere to, to hang out. Yeah, there's it's that. It's a dungeon. Whatever that thing is. Yeah, there's that being chased by, you know, whatever the abstract version of a Minotaur is. Same idea. Can I just say how annoyed I was that the thumbnail on YouTube for that short is a spoiler in a way? Yeah, that's annoying. It's I like, mean, why, it, we, why would you do that? It is also somewhat enticing to be like, hey, here's a weird thing. Because, I mean, maybe if the thumbnail was like, like a still from Office Space, you'd be like, how is this scary? That's true because I, um, and you're right that um, YouTube thumbnails are expected to be like a certain thing to get people to click on the video. So maybe yeah. that wasn't something I was taking into account, but hey. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, know. the movie does have its uh, pleasures beyond like a weird creature. So, right. There is yeah. That. To even kind of just reduce it to that, to be like, there's more to it than it just being like, oh, I'm being chased by a monster. It's more like there's this weird abstract landscape that you're trapped in, and that has its own kind of horror to it. Yeah. And also there's a minotaur. Yes. But more importantly, you don't know where you are or how to get from one place to another because it doesn't make any sense, which, again, if we're going back to, you know, sort of like lower mammalian fears, it's like, um, hey, you ever been playing Minecraft and it's nighttime? <laughs> yeah or just like you know being lost in the forest i mean that isn't anything that's happened to any of us or any of our listeners i'm sure because you when's know, the last time any of us have ever touched grass but <laughs> it's the same basic idea where it's like i'm in a big place and i don't know where i am and that's uh, it tim it's very ableist to tell people to touch grass all right well touch my ass <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if we have any hot lady listeners and you want tim to touch you <laughs> hit us up at uh info at have you seen dot us and yeah. uh, we will take we'll take those under consideration right, um yeah also if you are a sexy lady listener uh hey what's up <laughs> uh jen i admire your optimism uh, hey you know it's the only thing that keeps me going in the the seven days i have left to live um right yeah the only thing that keeps me going through these uh these back rooms that i'm trapped in huh <laughs> you know it did make me think of the first time that i played minecraft and i made a little um structure because i was uh -huh. like okay i guess this is what you do and i wanted to dig like um i like the idea of like a subterranean yeah lair. so i built that and then, um, you know, night fell. And then the next thing I know, there was this guy, like, standing in the entrance to my little dwelling. And he yeah. wouldn't leave. He was just standing there. And I was like, what is that? What is that? What is that? What is that? And I think I might have, like, taken a picture and sent it to you. Mm -hmm. I was like, what is that? And you were like, oh, that's an Enderman. Just don't look at him. Right, yeah. 
but the fucker wouldn't leave. Like, I hid from him, and I just, like, I would take a peek, and he was still just, like, fucking standing there. I think he was stuck because the entrance to my little dwelling was only, like, one cube. Yeah, it's, he's, Big. it's, yeah, it'd be two cubes high and Enderman or three cubes tall. But, yeah, it's funny that it is just, like, a fun digital Lego game for kids that is also fucking terrifying. It's so, I was so scared, and I got the same kind of the same feeling like watching back rooms because i was like ah what is that what is that what is that yeah there's no escape there's no place to hide you're always like constantly under threat and all you can at best hope to do is to like burrow down into your little cave and try and lock the door and hope that no one notices you like yeah like your little scared mouse and it's the age of the dinosaurs still yeah and you're like uh hey and like you know and uh like 50 million years we haven't been able to shake that like, in so many horror movies, you're just waiting for morning and yeah. praying you live that long. Yeah. So, this, yeah, this is all, like, you know, super prehistoric stuff that is programmed into our, you know, just our, our subconscious that whether it takes the place of, you know, an open forest or a video game or an uh, abandoned office building still evokes the same kind of feelings. Or maybe a spooky shack in the desert. Or a spooky shack in the desert. Say that you're an intrepid explorer, some kind of outdoorsman, someone who likes to go to places that are off the beaten path. You've got a, a fun blog about this. You send out videos, but you don't tell people where you're going because you don't want, you know, all the rabble to come in and start, you know, stepping on historic, you know, burial sites and things of that sort. But Let's say that you're in a part of Nevada and you like trains and you are the protagonist for horror in the high desert. And then one day you go missing. Oop. Yeah, I watched that because I, um, uh, you know, some of Jen's um, morbid curiosity has rubbed off on me. I read the entirety of that long form article on, you know, the German tourists in Death Valley. Ooh, yeah. Great yeah. read. Very, yeah. very, um... Very sad, uh-huh. but uh, a fascinating story. Yeah, and you can figure, too, that the people in that were not a bunch of bickering assholes. Maybe, <laughs> you know, the dad was getting a little short with everyone because it's like, look, we've got to, you know, we've got to return the car to San Francisco or whatever so we can make our flight on Tuesday. And if we just well, keep I mean, going, then we'll make it. But it isn't just someone being like, yeah, I threw the map in the creek. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were German tourists, so I'm sure they were obnoxious. Right, yeah, in their own way, forming German, forming pyramids and drinking Watney's Red Barrel. Uh, rest in peace, by the way. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but, 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 yeah, yeah. so I had read that, and I find it a fascinating story about what do you do when you are, um, it, it is, you know, man versus nature. I think uh, some philosopher mentioned that as one of the four basic stories. Um and, you know, you're at your very limit. You know, what do you do in that situation? So already I was interested in horror in the high desert based on that premise alone because I'd read the thing about the German tourists. And they weren't dummies. They were, they made mistakes, but they weren't just like blithering idiots who, you know, took a six pack of beer into the desert. They were people right. who thought, I if I only keep going, I can make it. Yeah. And that is kind of the tragic uh, flaw that is central to that story. So I put on Horror in the High Desert from, I think, 2021. It was a film made during quarantine. I don't think any actors appear together in the movie. Nope. Yeah. 
and it is um the the brilliance uh in the subtlety of it is that it um sells itself as a a an amateur true crime documentary and right. i want to emphasize amateur because it is even doing some some again some very deft sleight of hand with what it is telling you it is um it it already has you thinking oh this is you know just a a dumb documentary that isn't going to really lead anywhere where it's going to be like ah you know this guy that no one seems to to care about because he's just some hiker who went missing you know he went missing and we're going to talk to his you know dumb friends and family and they're going to give some platitudes and then at the end we'll just you know we'll close it with a question mark and be like okay well this documentary is I'm not expecting a lot of it going in um, and that's the way that the that the movie kind of lures you in in the same way that a lot of characters when facing and this gets back to you know like final girl theory stuff where it's it's you know if if it is the the dumb jock who thinks oh I can just take on this monster I can just hit him but then you know he ends up getting gutted and everyone's terrified you're the dumb jock in this you're the mm-hmm. one going oh this is just a stupid movie ba- made by amateurs I'm not going to get scared and then you watch it and you find out that you've actually been lured into this movie's trap yeah and in fact um when you recommended it to me mm-hmm. I was like okay well this I have to see because like Tim is not just going to recommend any old like found footage right horror film. He's pretty hard to impress at this point. Yeah, I don't like most things. Sorry. <laughs> That's kind of the premise of our show to be right, honest. Yeah. <laughs> um so I took a look at it and like you I was impressed by its um the fact that it was a really good simulacrum of a true crime documentary yeah um the kind of thing that you might see on oxygen or investigation discovery or maybe Mm -hmm. you would just see you would come across on tubi you'd be like oh what's this like it was uh, you know it's kind of a um inexpensively made true story yeah about like a friend who disappeared yeah and considering i've watched other garbage like that that's probably what fooled me right and so you're like okay like let's see where this goes and then you finish and, and, the movie and you're like, holy shit, for like the last 10 minutes, I was absolutely shitting my fucking pants. Right. And yeah, I and texted you and I was like, I can't believe it. I saw in 2022 a found footage horror movie that was actually scary. Yeah, it is terrifying. And it's great because, like I said, it sets up this trap for you, the viewer, because it throws in a lot of stuff. It It, it is... Um, masterful in its misdirection it throws in a lot of things that you think are what the movie is about but they're not like there's um there are some shots of because the guy also like model railroading i think he's uh billed as being a little autistic a little yeah or maybe that's just my assumption there is a tell right up front like as soon as they mentioned trains i was like oh i get it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, and so, like, they've got little segments of, like, his model railroad running around. And, like, you know, they're shot on, like, a handy cam. They're shot on an iPhone. And it's like, this is fucking stupid as hell. This dumb documentary. And the dumb do- documentary is just like, oh, sweet summer child, I fucking got you. You don't but, even and, know it, and I got you. And that's really important. And also why um, I got really drawn into it is because, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't just, like, you know, some, like, backpacker who got lost in the wilderness there's this odd 
pathos to the picture that you develop of the character because from yeah, character development in a found footage movie at last yeah because the premise is um like it's you know obviously it's uh people who knew him talking about him his roommate his sister mm-hmm. um you get a little bit of the family history and then you get a picture of this this man uh gary uh from the footage that was left behind like his vlogs mm-hmm the reminiscences of the people who knew him. And you get this picture of a true outsider, like, and someone who appeared to be like a perfectly nice person, but who was a little at odds with like the rest of society. And, you know, it's like, we can go, Oh, ha ha trains like autism, Mm -hmm. but it's uh, like, that's a really important aspect of the character. And, not only do you learn that he was kind that well we you, have we have enough details oh, about him to ground him in reality which is well, important what i'm getting at is that there are so many signifiers about this guy which mark him as an outsider because not only is he autistic you see him speaking on camera and he's got a slight speech impediment mm-hmm. and he was gay yeah like they mentioned that he you know a lead that was followed up by um a detective who speaks in the movie is that, yeah, you know, we, you know, looking for suspects, we found like someone he was talking to on Facebook Messenger. And, um, you know, both of them were very like this person and Gary himself, they were both circumspect about their sexuality. You know, they live in Nevada mm-hmm. and maybe they didn't want to fucking be out to people. And as the movie progresses, you're like, wow, like this guy was really isolated and like in a way like self-isolating because mm-hmm. he um, spent so much time in the wilderness, he had, and not just as a as a hiker and a backpacker, like with a real survivalist bent, like yeah. someone who wanted to be completely self sufficient to the point where he could live in the wilderness on his own if he had to, and like that was a way that he challenged himself. Like his roommate alludes to it, he's like, "Yeah, he didn't want to let us, you know, bring like enough food or water or anything." But you get the impression that this was a guy who could take care of himself perfectly well in the wilderness, but who is like totally out of step with people, even to the point of there being like some built up resentment on the part of his sister, because you find out that she blamed him as a child for like the death of their parents. Yeah. And that's a, another great piece of misdirection is that when they introduce the sister and they provide her backstory and their conflict, it's easy enough to hate the sister and be like, oh, mm-hmm. the sister is the villain of the story until we find out that, I don't know, like he, you know, maybe had misadventure like this, you know, German family in, um, in Death Valley where it's like, maybe he just ran out of water. Maybe he was attacked by animals. Maybe he had like, you know, a nutty putty cave situation. He fell oh, down God. a mine shaft. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just like <laughs> some kind of horrible death by misadventure where you can be like, Oh, that's sad that he died of mysterious reasons, but it gets so much worse than that. Right. And um, interestingly, this was um, inspired by a true story. And I know that the saying is like, oh, truth is stranger than fiction. But the um, the incident that inspired this movie actually appears to be quite prosaic because yeah. it um, one of the things that inspired this movie was the um, disappearance of a man named Kenny Veach, who was a vlogger who, um, you know, kind of like poked around the desert and he had left a post on a social media site where he's like, oh, dude, like I found like this. And it really is like, 
you read the post and you're like, come on, dude. Right. Um, <laughs> like, um, he left a post on a social media site where he's like, dude, I was in the desert. And I found this cave that was like shaped like an M. And then when I got close to it, like I felt like these like vibes that were like really crazy. It was like, like the mm-hmm. vibes were just like insane. Like it just felt weird. And it's like, that's it. And then right. he disappeared. And um, I'm the, if you read up about the case, uh, you're like, okay, well, obviously he got lost and died or came to same, some sort of misadventure. Right. Um, life is pretty prosaic. And, um, you know, most people aren't getting abducted by aliens or, you know, yeah. um, and, and getting another... kidnapped by like uh, a bunch of hillbillies who yeah, want to take you to dinner. Or... Yeah, exactly. Right. It isn't um, like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. And so um, the the Kenny Veach story, like the real life inspiration is actually like fairly dull as like unsolved mysteries go, because you can mm-hmm. connect the dots pretty easily. Yeah. I don't want to seem like I'm shitting on the guy. Like, you know, this was just this was a human being who who disappeared. Um, there are suggestions that um, he was in some financial trouble. So maybe it was. A suicide maybe he was just trying to drum up interest for his youtube channel who knows but it is a tragic story but there isn't a lot to it whereas the tale that's built up in horror of the high desert is more interesting because there is there are more facets to it yeah it's you're wondering what is what is it that's happened because one of the other things too is that they do show his truck part um at at like the trailhead and really weird weirdly too is that i thought they were just doing this as mood for mm-hmm. you know the true crime documentary but the photos that they show like you know the the real true crime photos that they show they start with the black screen and they take forever to like develop to mm-hmm. like bring it back to like its full brightness or its full opacity <laughs> and like it is you as the viewer just like you know staring <laughs> you know through your screen mm-hmm. trying to make out details of this um you know what could be a horrible scene like as they're presented to you in just like this really deliberately slow way that builds tension you know before they reveal what the photograph is actually of yeah it's kind of a neat little encapsulation of the entire movie yeah um one of the other things too like before they actually you know let on until it's too late for you to do anything is that you are wondering like what happened to him because even just you know like the back rooms um if it is you you just out alone in the wilderness by yourself just meeting another person can be fatal yeah like um because you don't know who you're going to meet and there's no like escape hatch there's no cancel yeah like um like you're stuck in the situation yeah, there are a couple of stories of encounters on the Appalachian Trail that went bad, which yeah. are kind of in the same vein. Because, you know, most people who do that long through hiking um, will not get murdered. But there have been a <laughs> but couple a of murders. Yeah. yeah. But that's because, you know, the human animal is, is uh, very unpredictable at times. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something, too, that. Um... When I uh, guessed it on um, uh, Right Good, that other podcast, that was to talk about an anthology of Australian horror, and a lot mm-hmm. of the um, a lot of the themes in that are just the um, the roll of the dice of meeting another person in the wilderness, yeah. or conversely, 
if you get into a spot of trouble, there is no chance that anyone is going to come help you. Yes. So putting the you know the protagonist of horror in the high desert in either of those situations is potentially fatal. Like, you know, just say, you know, you you run out of water or you get lost. Like yeah. even just getting a few feet off the trail. Like there have been numerous stories about, you know, people being found and they're just like, you know, within a stone's throw of the trail. But just, you know, something as a mistake as mundane as that can can end your life. Or you can just meet the wrong person at the wrong time and there's nothing you can do yeah. about it. Yeah, because at first this story could be like incredibly prosaic. It just could be somebody who got slightly out of their depth in the wilderness and came to a bad end. But it's Yeah, or even more... just an unsolved murder. Yeah, and it's but it's like more sinister and mysterious than that. And um the movie is very effective because it is such a good uh it is such a good uh simulation of this particular kind of documentary. I said earlier it's very au courant, um, mm -hmm. you know, with uh true crime as a genre still being like in its uh in its full flower. Um yeah, because it, it looks like a just a low budget true crime documentary. Yeah, and um, the uh, you know props to the people that they got um, to act on screen because there is no fakery to it. I mean, I mentioned that other thing that I was watching on Tubi where I knew it was fucking fake in like five minutes. Yeah, it and, has a, a kind of um, amateurish authenticity to it. Where it's yeah, like, oh, it, we're talking to a local news person, and because like they maybe aren't super articulate or poised, it's like, oh, they're local news. Of course they aren't. Well, and one thing that I noticed um, that I also have to give them props for is, um, and this is a this is a huge flaw in a lot of B movies is they cannot they cannot fake a news broadcast to save their asses. <laughs> they really can't. And, you know, like, uh, not even, like, really egregious examples, like in Things. <laughs> right, okay. Or uh, Birdemic, where it's like, come, like, have you ever right. even watched, like, cable news? There is yeah, a mock-up no of... There is a mock-up of a cable news story in this movie, which is 100% plausible. It looks exactly like something you would scan yeah. past on cable like what you know you get past like cnn and msnbc and fox news and you're like oan what the fuck is this shit like right. it 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 looks exactly right and the person doing the newscast is 100 percent like a real newscaster on cable news yeah it's sort of that banality um uh lends to authenticity yeah, and that that and I think that's a problem with a lot of B movies is they think like, oh, we'll just get somebody to look into the camera and read the news. It's like, no, like <laughs> no, there's what a reason does it actually that they look like. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a reason that they don't just get like any random person to like read off the fucking teleprompter. Like mm -hmm. these people actually go through like years of broadcasting before they get to cable. Yeah. Um. So, the movie has that authenticity to it which kind of draws you in it has the character aspects which make it really unique like it it's um yeah they dole the, out the character development pretty expertly like because it is is sparing in the detail that they give you and each one seems to lead to another clue to the puzzle that you think you're going to solve at the end yeah and um 
the central character in this movie is, and I don't want to sound like I'm pitying the guy, but like his quirks make him like that much more tragic a figure because he does seem like, I mean, he seems like a guy that I could know from like my extended friend friend group. Yeah, I mean, you are friends with a lot of misfits. Uh-oh. I mean, yeah, like, and he does come across as, as someone who just really doesn't like people. And that's why he's in the fucking wilderness with his dog all the time. Right. But you understand, like, why he would feel that way, because you get the sense from childhood that he was a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Um, was probably mocked for his affect and, like, his speech impediment and everything. And also, he's queer. Right. Yeah, like, a lot of things working against him. And yet, like, he's, car- like, a lot of people on, you know, who are misfits or who are on the spectrum, like, they carve out a particular niche and they get, like, really fucking good at something. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's another element of the tragedy of the film. It's not just like, oh, he fell into a ravine and broke his leg and died or something like that. Oh, he fucked up, you yeah. know. Um, just, yeah, some banal death by misadventure. Yeah, no, he he ended up against something like intensely hostile and terrifying. Right. Yeah. Cause just like that um, earlier, you know, true, true ish um, account of being like, Oh, I found this weird thing in the desert. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to go back. Yeah. And then, uh, and yeah, we've been pretty well grounded in reality up until now. Um, there's some kind of mysterious stranger that they think he met someone who was like driving his truck barefoot to like move it to a different place. So they're like, okay, so like maybe he just like met some like hillbilly. Maybe he met someone on meth or whatever. And that's what happened. And then because the movie has been doing such a good job of um, doling out information, then they're like, oh, and by the way, here's the last video that he recorded. Oof. And yeah, and we're ready for that video. And it's him. In the darkness, you know, just with, like, the infrared camera, infrared light on the camera. Um, which he needs to see. Which he needs to see. So, already, it's sort of like, uh, if you recall in The Descent, mm-hmm. you know, when they're in a pitch black cave and they're only able to look through the viewfinder to yeah. see. And knowing what that is like, knowing that it's pitch black all around you, you have no, you know, nowhere safe that you can retreat to, just like in the back rooms. And then it is, you know, having to look through this one very narrow field of view to see whatever's coming at you. Oh, um, yeah, you thought it's it was bad in scary. Aliens. Yeah, it's very, it's <laughs> being out in the open, exposed and claustrophobic. Um, and th- until, you know, he happens upon the, like this broken down um, shack and you're like, okay, it's just a shack. And then you focus on it. And then like something that like, it's like a video effect where it moves and it's the, and it's that, that is the point for me, you know, when the penny drops in the film where it's like, I've been watching a found footage horror movie this entire time and had no idea. Oh my God. Yeah. And the thing the was, tra- was like, the, the trap snaps shut at that point. And the thing and, was like, I was primed for this and like, apparently you were not like, no, I was not at all, <laughs> which is great. Like that's, yeah, it saves. Awesome. It is a horror movie that saves in everything for the very last scene. Like it is, has been building and building and building for you know eighty minutes, and they don't show you a goddamn thing until the very last scene, and it is absolutely gripping terror. Yeah, and it pretty much plays out like almost in real time. 
Yeah. And you're holding your breath for like 10 solid minutes. Yeah, because you're just waiting for whatever it is to come out of the darkness through that viewfinder, you know, before only to like find that it's too late because of, you know, the the distance on that light is so slight that yeah. whatever's coming at you is going to be upon you before you can even react. And he's even got a gun with him, but it doesn't do him any good. It's Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this yeah, and this guy was prepared. Like he understood the wilderness. It's just that he you know, kind of he happened upon that thing that you don't really like count on when you're a survivalist necessarily. It's like what what like what is this? Like what even is this? And the extra element of tragedy of it is the fact that he, that Gary was basically pressured into this by his uh, followers online. Mm -hmm. um, and they make it clear that... Um, and this is also what makes the movie like quite relevant. It's not just the true crime element, but also the, the factor of online bullying, where mm -hmm. people online are so eager to like call bullshit and like hogpile someone and you know hogpiling like a nice guy like gary who just wants to go you know hike in the wilderness be with his dog like find cool trains you know make his little videos yeah if you're in your element it's fine but he is just like the viewer finds himself way out of his depth when it's too late to do anything about it yeah, and it's like, what do you do when like all your followers are like bullying you? They're like, yeah, you didn't, you didn't find shit. Like, there's no proof. Like, you're just making this up for views. Like, blah blah blah. Yeah. And I think with that autistic single-mindedness, he's like, no, I did see this, and I'm going to prove it. Even though, like, I kind of got a creepy feeling when I saw this thing. I'm going to yeah. prove to you that it was there. And it, it, that just makes it so much sadder. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that they uh, held, uh, you know, they, they played their their cards really close to the vest until uh, the very end, I think, was just a, an excellent um, form of pacing. They, they sent up a lot of, you know, red herrings and a lot of misdirection until, like I said, at the end, it's like, oh, shit, I'm watching a horror movie and I didn't even realize it. Like, that, for me, I think, is, is the... Um, masterstroke of this ostensibly um you know true crime documentary yeah like very well done and it is streaming on tubi so if you're as jaded as we are about the state of horror these days that one might be worth checking out yeah find it at your local back rooms <laughs> <laughs> if you get out yes You'll watch it forever. Oh, well, th I'm going to cut this like a Monty Python episode where the credits come in like three quarters of the way through. <laughs>